of the living hope, who is Jesus Christ. And I hope you know the chains that have been broken in your own life. And if you're here this morning, and you just came through another week, or another Friday night, or another Saturday night, uh, where your life gave evidence that you are still enslaved to your passions, or to your choices, uh, that is good news for you. Because He offers the water of life without price. And He offers it to sinners. He doesn't expect you to clean yourself up first and become perfect and keep New Year's resolutions. It is a free offer to you. And He is our living hope. I invite you to open your Scriptures to Revelation chapter 22. Next Sunday, uh, we will have three of our missionaries with us, and we will have both a morning worship gathering and then a combined ABS so that we can hear from each of them. Uh, Buddy Fitzgerald from Peru will actually be preaching for us. Uh, in my time here, I don't believe he's preached in the last seven and a half years, so looking forward to having Buddy open God's Word to us. And then in the combined ABS, uh, we'll get the presentations from the Reddicks and uh, Christy Colas, and then I think in the morning the Fitzgeralds will also give their presentation. And then the following week, Lord willing, if he has not returned yet, we will finish Revelation. Okay? Doesn't Ecclesiastes say that the, the end of a thing is better than the beginning of it? Right? I'm not sure about this one, though. I'm not questioning God's word. I'm just, this has been a very fruitful personal study for me uh, and has really broadened my understanding of God's presence and glory and just his majesty and how all these things are moving, all these even painful things and horrific things are moving towards the end. And what a joy to be able to see him face to face. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. We will see his face. You ever wonder how things are going to turn out? You ever imagine what the future holds? Not just this week or next year, but what will happen when you close your eyes forever? Children, do you ever think that? If I close my eyes tonight and I don't wake up, what's there? There's something in us, and I believe there's something even within a child's heart, like an invisible witness that tells us it's not just going to be nothingness, doesn't it? There's something just, that just witnesses to our mind and our heart that when we close our eyes and breathe our last breath, that it's not the end of us. That the doctrine of annihilationism, also called extinctionism or destructionism, the belief that after the final judgment, some human beings and all fallen angels will be totally destroyed so as not to exist. There's something in our minds and Scripture that tells us that's not true. So what will it be like? And our text in Revelation this morning answers that question in part. I was reminded of this uh, in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, where they go into the fair, and some of you will remember reading this or or viewing this, they go into the fair and they come up to their lodging and it's an ordinary canvas tent. Remember this? And they look at it and it, and it looks like, you know, 50 other canvas tents in, on the fairground. But when they walk in, what do they see? They walk in, it's, it's about 20 times bigger than it appears on the outside. 
And there's a carpet and there's sofas and there's, there are plants, there's chandeliers, there's hanging lights. It even looks like there's glass windows in this tent. And I actually think for true believer followers of Jesus Christ, that's what heaven's going to be like. Like we're down here describing the canvas tent, but when we actually get there, we're going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. Right? So even when we write books about it or try to explain it with the best of our ability and creative language, we're still simply describing a different view of the white canvas tent. And when we go in, we're going to be floored. That's how amazing that is going to be. And that's really sort of the indication that our text gives us this morning. Listen to what the one man in history who rose from the dead victorious, never to die again, promised. Listen to this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why would the disciples' heart, whom Jesus was speaking to then, be troubled? Well, he was going to Jerusalem to what? To die. And why would your heart be troubled this morning? Because you didn't walk with him for three years personally, only to have him leave. But there are a hundred other troubles that can actually creep into our heart this morning. And he says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We're going to see in the text this morning how John, through his use of grammar, talks about God and the Lamb to different persons as one. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. And here's the promise. This is why your heart should not be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Think about the original creation. God spoke a word and it happened. Right? Out of nothing, let there be light. Let there be creatures. Let the oceans be filled. Jesus has been gone now for more than 2,000 years preparing a place. I go away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be there also. Now, I do not claim to know what the new heaven, new earth, new city look like outside of Scripture. But I do know this. It will be better than any of us can imagine or paint a picture of. Like if for you, heaven is that little, you know, little Toto is there with you. And that's all your heaven is, is that your lap dog for 12 years, he's going to be there to welcome you. That's cute, but I'm going to tell you, you have, you have underestimated heaven. It's going to be better than any of us can imagine. Here's another thing. You will be joyful. That emotional burden you carry, that discouragement that hounds you, that darkness that oppresses your soul, it's gone. You will be safe. No thieves, no kidnappers, no one to molest. No one to hurt, no one to accuse, no fear ever gone. You will be content. No raging desire in your heart, no chaos of mind, no affliction, no unsatisfied longing. I know this, you'll be at peace. 
No concern, no restlessness of mind or body. And here's, here's another truth. I will know this, that, that most of you will know love perhaps for the first time in your life. You will know true, unconditional, overwhelming love like you have never experienced before other than the time when you sensed Christ had forgiven you of all your sin. And that will be a continual, overwhelming, constant love. In the new heaven, new earth, new city, there won't be any temptation, any sin. Therefore, there won't be any shame or guilt or regret. There will be no crying, no pain, no death. As God says in Isaiah 42, 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Listen to what he says. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So it's, it's as if God has planted the seed. Good seed. Every seed is going to bring forth amazing fruit. He's planted it. He's fertilized it. He's watered it. And then he comes over here and he says, before it springs up, I'm going to tell you about it. And this is what it's going to be like. Now, it's, it's going to surely grow up. But I'm promising this to you before you even see those little sprouts pop through the surface. Eternal life, abundant life, incredible life. And do you know how to get there? Do you know the directions to that place? Because Jesus told you very clearly. Even the disciples said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Remember that? Tell us so we can follow you. He said, he said what? Can you say it with me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you gone through Christ? Have you gone through His sacrifice? Have you gone through His atoning blood? Because if not, you are not going to arrive at the Father, which is true heaven. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 9 declares that God is going to keep His Word. He's going to keep His covenant. That's what it means. A covenant is an agreement between two or more people. And Revelation 22, the very last chapter of all of Scripture, says God is going to keep His Word to you. And He's going to do so by bringing those who trust Him to a new and better Garden of Eden. That's the picture we're going to get. Okay, so... Genesis 1 and 2 don't, don't describe the Garden of Eden much, but there's enough there to say what? That's a pretty incredible place. Matter of fact, so incredible that you can feel the pain, you can like viscerally feel Adam and Eve being told to leave it. And then it's barred from their re-entering it. Revelation 22 is a return to a new and better Garden of Eden. Some have called it a Garden City because we go from a garden to a city, but it's still a garden place that God has prepared. Matter of fact, Eden means garden of delight. And the purpose of God in the first garden was to provide His unique creation, man and woman, a place of delight. Genesis 2.8 says this, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. This is all by way of introduction, but I want you to imagine what would a garden planted by God look like? I love gardening. I sat out there this morning for a while. But my, my, my backyard is not divine. And some of you, I've been to your houses, you have, you have immaculate backyards and you've even made little waterfalls that are very attractive. 
but they're not the Zambezi or the Victoria Falls. And God made those in a fallen world. What does a garden that God plants look like? So you have those images in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we are now given some of those same images in Revelation chapter 22. Think back to Christ's original work of creation, because it was Jesus who created. John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him. Through who? The word, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1.16 teaches that for by him, Christ, all things were created. In Genesis 1-2, we are told the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You have the triune God now preparing a place that God knew he would place man and woman into. When there was no form, God brought design. When there was a void, God filled it. And sometimes we think of this like little garden, like little backyard. But Genesis 2.10 says a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. This was a large place. I was just trying to tick through um, some of the things I enjoy that God has created and trying to project that forward into a better Eden. The coconut and date palm trees. I love palm trees. The towering cedar, the awkward baobab. Have you ever seen a baobab? Looks like its root system is on top, right? The silverback gorilla, the hippopotamus, one of my favorites. The platypus, not to mention leviathan and behemoth. The ant, the pig, and the dog. The scripture talks about each of those. Cinnamon, garlic, mint, mustard, salt. Just a few of the spices the Bible mentions. Apples, almonds, grapes, pomegranates, raisins, all of which the Bible mentions. Beans, cucumbers, lentils, barley, bread, corn, wheat, fish, honey, meat, wine, dairy. All that the Bible mentions. Pure relationships. Beauty, pleasure, remarkable angelic beings, and the very presence of God. So what do you think a new and better garden city will look like. Because it's a lot better than simply describing the different dimensions of a white canvas tent, isn't it? Here in Revelation, look at, look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Now, what, is the, what was the street made of? Okay, gold, pure gold. Now you have this, this river flowing down through this street of gold, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree. Now, either, this, either these are trees or a single tree that God has designed that we have sort of never seen before as a single tree comes up on either side of the river. Either way, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. 
They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is purposely calling our minds back to Genesis 2 verse 10 where it says a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. The angel takes John and shows him the river of the water of life flowing down the city. John described this to a people whose only source of water came from rivers or streams or rainfall. And if there was a drought, it meant death. And if a well was poisoned, it meant death. Here John is showing, and this is what he's communicating, as we're trying to grasp the picture of it and paint it in our minds, what John is saying is there is an abundant, pure supply that gives life. And it's right there in the middle of the city. And it's right there for everyone. And it's uncontaminated. This fulfills Ezekiel's vision of a river flowing out of the temple that makes seawater fresh and gives life to the fish in Ezekiel chapter 47. We read here in Revelation 22 verse 2 that the water flows through the middle of the street of the city. It is near at hand. It is accessible. It is pure. It is available. Let me ask you a question. What did you drink this weekend? Not just what did you lift to your lips. What did you try to satisfy your soul with this weekend? Was it a beverage? Was it a pill? Was it a relationship? Let me ask you, are you still thirsty this morning? Because those things will leave you thirsty. Just like regular water will leave you thirsty. That's what Jesus said to the woman at the well. If you keep drinking from this well, you're going to have to keep coming back. But I offer you a water where you will never thirst again. Have you tasted that water? Have you lifted that to your lips? Don't miss the invitation at the end of this book. In verse 17, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Jesus told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Are you satisfied this morning? Do you have a foretaste of what this city, this garden city is going to offer? Now, verse 2 continues by moving from the water of life to the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruits. And the river and the tree fulfill a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 47. Listen to what Ezekiel writes and sees. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Okay, can we just stop there? Because what are we thinking? I mean, how many of you right now, okay, breakfast wearing off or you didn't have breakfast, and now what you're doing is you're sitting here and, and hunger starts to, starts to increase and you desire, right young men, ladies, fruit. Five almonds, right? Now, it, there was a time and a day where that was like the rich food. Okay, so this, it, illustrations break down, so bear with me, right? There's, there's not going to be any more death, and I'm going to use a hamburger as an illustration, okay? You'll get that later, okay? 
So this is like a tree that's in an outburger. Or five guys. And you're like, wow. And then there's a New York pizza tree. See? And we laugh. Why? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then there's like this, this steak tree with pepper sauce. Right? And there's another steak tree with mushroom sauce. And then there's, you know, you can just keep going on. Because, you know, an, or- an orange, for most of us, does not communicate. What this communicates is in the new garden city, there is going to be incredible, abundant, pleasurable food. Trees. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. There's no fruit season. There's no mango season. Right? We couldn't wait until the tree outside of our yard in Zambia started to bring forth mango. We loved mango season. And then mango season was over. And we had to wait for the calendar until mango season happened again. See, what, what this is communicating is there's going to be abundant and plentiful and a, an incredible variety of food. And it never goes out of season and you're never going to get tired of eating it. Nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. It's exactly what Revelation 22 says. Abundance, health and satisfaction without disease or strife. Okay, as the river of the water of life matches the river flowing out of Eden, so this tree of life matches, Genesis 2.9, the tree of life in the midst of the garden. Which So by the time you reach Revelation 22, it is signifying a new and better garden of Eden. Something that God has prepared, and this garden city comes down and meets the new earth. Interesting. Remember, we talked about that, where the new heaven and the new earth and the new city are probably not three different locations that we transport to, but are most likely one entity that come back together. So this garden comes down prepared by God, adorned like a bride, and it comes down and it meets the new earth. And that is heaven. I hope that makes sense. This section combines Ezekiel 47:12, where the fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river with Isaiah 35, 6 to 9, where he says water will gush forth and a highway will be there called the way of holiness. Now, listen to this warning in Isaiah. The unclean will not journey on it. See, Not everybody's going to this place. G.K. Beale says this, in addition to the unusual combination of water metaphors with urban road portrayals and other similarities, the two passages, Isaiah and Revelation, also have in common the portrayal of a new creation in which the earth becomes exceedingly fruitful like a garden. So young people, if in your mind there's sort of this this mystical heaven where we're all these like vapors singing old hymns for eternity. You're like, yes, I was hoping that's what it was going to be like. Okay. For some in here, singing old hymns for all eternity is like a piece of heaven. But for young people, that doesn't translate. There's going to be trees and rivers and abundance and food, but we're not even at the best part yet. And what good news about all this fruit and abundance to people that live in the Himalayan, in Nepal, who eat dalbat two times a day. They get two meals a day, 
mid-morning, mid-afternoon, and it's lentil soup. They eat that twice a day, seven days a week, all year long. And now you've got 12 trees that bring forth 12 different kinds of fruit all the time. Or what about a clean supply of water that is accessible, flowing down through the city to the Nuer people that live in southern Sudan who have to walk several miles to get water. And when they do, they have to dig down in the mud several yards. And when they get the water, it's infested with the guinea worm. And now you have a close, accessible life supply of refreshment and delight. You see how that communicates. And we need to make sure that in our culture where God has blessed us materially and with great comfort, we don't lose the amazing pictures that that John is trying to communicate about what heaven is really like. Because not only does the tree of life provide food, and I think this second one will be more important for us, its leaves provide healing. Now, that does not mean that in heaven healing is still needed. It does mean at least we will be dependent upon Jesus Christ throughout all eternity. But it also signifies that these nations, all these nations will come together and they will be healed and offered a new quality of life. No disease, no hurts, but health, unity, acceptance and peace. Let me give you an example. The river and the tree are not in different quarters of Jerusalem. There are no fences around the trees. The tree does not exist on a disputed border. The river is not walled and there's no treatment plant near the water. There are no documents needed to access the tree and there are no taxes charged for taking the fruit from the trees. Nationalism is gone. Racism is gone. Tribal divisions, political skirmishes, family discord, personal hurts, prejudice, and the long history of hate and warfare are gone. Why? Because these trees provide healing for the nations. It's a new quality of life where we interact with each other. Heaven is not a better America. Those divisions are gone. It is a new, complete earth and a new heaven and a new city where God dwells with them. But it gets even better. Look at verse 3, the first part. No longer will there be anything accursed. No possibility for a curse. Nothing can compromise paradise. Nothing can crash the party. Nothing can rain on the event. This will not be a five-star resort with musty towels and bed bugs. You ever done that? Have you ever gotten in your mind, we've been planning this vacation for you know two and a half years, we put all kinds of money towards it, and I mean, you've seen pictures of it, and then you get there. What's that smell? It is humid. Right? There's just disappointment. You know that's never going to happen in heaven? There's never a letdown. There's never a disappointment. Nothing can compromise it. There is a guarantee of safety and delight. Why? Because God is there. But even better, listen, nothing accursed. Do you know how that's possible? Let me just give you a glimpse of the gospel. Out in Galatians 3, it says this, because Christ purchased us back 
from the curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Because of the cross of Christ, through faith, the curse is removed forever, and the blessing of Abraham is extended to you and me, who are Gentiles and far away from the promise, we are now included in that Abrahamic covenant. Keep reading in verse 3, because this is the best part. The best part isn't the river or the trees or that there's nothing accursed. Look at, look at the latter part of verse 3. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. Right there. That's why it's called a garden temple city. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. See, that's different than when Moses was forbidden to see the face of God. And when Jesus says, no man has ever seen the Father at any time. Now what, we, now what are we granted? We can look on the face of God continually and not die. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no not light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Finally, listen to this. Worship will be complete. We will work and sing and serve and live and love with an undivided heart. Here's why, verse 4, they will see his face. And don't be thrown off by that, that image, and his name will be on their foreheads. That simply means our mind and our heart will be set on him and satisfied completely. Our mind will have no wandering, selfish, sinful thought. His name will be here, just like the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, where we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, and that will be a true reality. His name will be on our foreheads. It's like Isaiah 26.3 says, we will be at perfect peace because our minds are stayed on Him. The last phrase of verse 3, I want you to consider this quickly. There are two pronouns, his and him. They're both singular. And they point back to the, to the previous verse, to God and the Lamb. Okay, in verse 3. So you have two persons, God and the Lamb, referred to by singular pronouns, his and him, in verses 3 and 4, and continues by referring to his face, his name, singular. But each of these singular pronouns point to who? God and, and the Lamb. There are two persons, but the pronoun is singular. This is because of what Jesus declared in John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are what? I and the Father are one. John's understanding of that truth, just like John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus Christ, verse 14, who became flesh, is God. John's understanding of that truth is reflected in his grammar. The pronouns singular refer to two persons, God and the Lamb, one God. Imagine that. Think of everything that comforts you about God. His sovereignty, His creation, His protection, and couple that with the love and grace of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. You have one God, the God that God and the Lamb, and you can look on His face. We will see His face. So here's the point. 
Better than jasper walls, solid pearl gates, streets of gold, a crystal clear river of life, and a Chick-fil-A tree. Okay, just trying to communicate to our younger generation. Actually, that communicates to the older generation, right? Which will not be closed on any day of the week. So, okay. Okay, better than all those things. Because that would be a delight, right? Oh, yes. No, better than those things is the uninterrupted presence of the triune God among His children. All the other things, that's all just, it's all just furniture. You're in the presence of God. And so John has told this in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Why? Because he just saw staggering, amazing things. And so he has to come along and say, no, this is true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. See, right here, John is trying to tie things up and tie them together. Here's what he does. First, do not doubt the veracity or the accuracy of these words. Here's what we have repeated. These words are trustworthy and true. Chapter 21, verse 5 and 22, verse 6. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Why? Why do we need that reminder? Because we doubt. Because we're creatures of disbelief. Do you know some people will never enter this garden city because of unbelief? And we need this reminder because even as believer followers of Jesus Christ, we tend to disbelieve these things. So we need to hear these words are trustworthy and true. Second, do not only doubt the accuracy of these words. Second, do not misinterpret God's timing. Revelation 1 verse 1 says things that must soon take place. Revelation 1 verse 3 says for the time is near. John now at the end of the letter presses home the urgency of these visions by repeating this in 22 verse 6. What must soon take place and in 22 verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. And it doesn't feel like it's soon, does it? It feels like a long delay. It feels like evil is triumphing. It feels like the saints are growing weary and giving up. Listen to what Peter challenged in 2 Peter 3.8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. Well, why would He seem slow? Why does it seem like He's delaying? Because he's patient toward you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all of you should reach repentance. Do you understand that God's delay, even amidst all the evil, is grace to those who have not entered the city yet through Christ? So third, do not miss the blessing. People miss God's blessing by removing themselves out into a sphere where he cannot bless them. They fail to do this because they fail to believe the words. He is coming soon and he gives this beatitude. And it's repeated here at the beginning and the end as bookends. Listen to, the, listen to chapter 1. Blessed is the one who keeps what is written in it for the time is near. And then what he says here, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. The unveiling, the revelation comes with commands. Keep it. Obey it. Keep the prophecy of this book. Keep what is written in it. 
Now let me make one application as we move to the Lord's Supper. Throughout this book, especially through the, the, the section that had the majority of space given over to the visions of judgment, we have been warned consistently about sexually immoral people. It's very clear in the book of Revelation. Towards the end of this chapter, if you're still open to Revelation 22, look at verse 15. Outside, okay, outside of where? Outside of everything I just showed you, delight and life and pleasure and the very presence of God in a new earth, new heaven, new city. Outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I want to ask us a question because we, we can make wrong assumptions when we're gathered as a church. Where do your thoughts consistently and your actions consistently place you right now? Are you in Christ? Will you be in the new heaven and the new earth and the new garden city of paradise? Or are you outside? 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, God's will is for you to be holy so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. As we have solemnly warned you before, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Does your life give proof that you are in Christ? See, when we go through Revelation, we're not simply seeking more information we want to hold the mirror of Revelation up to our hearts and say, has there been transformation by the gospel? Let me just read two more verses. John says this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel. See, these visions, these visions are so moving and staggering that John loses his bearings and he falls down to worship an angel. And he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Are you worshiping God this morning with your life, with your thoughts, with your actions, and your relationships? Because there will be a day when we can say, Lord, Lord, have I not attended church my whole life? Lord, Lord, have my parents not been Christians? Lord, Lord, have I not done many wonderful works and even served in the nursery and served selflessly in so many banquets? Lord, Lord, have I not done all these things? I even didn't go hiking and so I could attend. Lord, haven't I done all? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Let's pray.